politics, sports, movies. You are listening to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank and I'm the host of the show. And thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking the show out. If you're a return listener, thanks for coming back and continuing to listen. The show is available on the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. If you listen to the podcast using one of these apps, please click subscribe and this will allow you to receive notifications when new episodes are uploaded. This podcast covers three different subjects. Movies, sports, and politics. Each episode is dedicated to one of these topics. You can follow the show on social media. The handle for Twitter is at BendYourEarPod. This is also the handle for Instagram. If you want to email the show, the email is BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. If you're not using a podcasting app to listen to the show, you can always get episodes directly from the website, which is www.LetMeBendYourEar.com. I'm going to discuss the 1991 film, The Fisher King, directed by Terry Gilliam. The film stars Jeff Bridges as Jack Lucas, Robin Williams as Perry, Mercedes Rule as Anne, and Amanda Plummer as Lydia. Director Terry Gilliam was the lone American member of the British comedy troupe Monty Python. He created the animated sections of their show Monty Python's Flying Circus and directed the film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. He's also directed the films Twelve Monkeys, Brazil, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, among others. Gilliam took on The Fisher King in part because he was tired of doing big-budget special effects films, such as his previous film, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which went over budget and cost over $45 million, nearly twice as much as The Fisher King's budget of $24 million. After Munchausen, Gilliam did not think he would be able to make another film in Hollywood. This was the first film Gilliam directed in which he was not involved in writing the screenplay, as well as his first film not to feature any other members of Monty Python. It is Gilliam's second film involving the Holy Grail, the first being the aforementioned Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Gilliam wanted to emphasize the New Yorkness of the film and be faithful to the story of the four main characters. Screenwriter Richard Lagravenesse wanted to write an optimistic story in response to the cynical era of the late 1980s. While walking in New York, Lagravenesse noticed two men walking, a young, good-looking man and a mentally challenged man, and it inspired him to create a story where a selfish man performs a selfless act. The script then incorporated the story of the Fisher King, which told the story of a wounded king and a fool on a quest for the Holy Grail. After four versions of the screenplay, he completed the final story. Producers Linda Opst and Deborah Hill loved the script and specifically the female characters, which is not surprising as Mercedes Rule won an Oscar for her performance as Anne. The movie started at Disney, and after two drafts of the script, Disney put the film into turnaround, which basically means that a film suspends or stops production on a film and sells the rights to it to another studio. In this case, that studio was TriStar Pictures. Several directors were pitched by TriStar to Opston Hill, who refused them all. James Cameron was actually interested in the film for a long period of time, but he was in the middle of shooting The Abyss, which turned out to be a very long and protracted and difficult shoot, causing him to back off The Fisher King. But Obst had the studio think that Cameron was still attached as director to protect it from any more input from TriStar and suggesting any different directors. Obst and Hill then flew to London to speak to Terry Gilliam about directing the film. 
Gilliam seemed an odd choice as he was a director who was always pushing for full creative control, but Opes and Hill thought he'd be a good fit for this script. Gilliam did love the script and wanted to do it. This plus the fact that Baron Munchausen had been difficult and he wanted to show that he could handle a film within budget. Studio head Don Steele had just taken over TriStar and coincidentally had just worked with Gilliam on Baron Munchausen and that relationship was not a good one and she stated that she would not work with him ever again. Despite that, Opston Hill fought for Gilliam and ultimately won that battle. Gilliam also thought that as he had just worked with Robin Williams successfully on Baron Munchausen and the studio wanted Williams for the Fisher King, that also didn't hurt his cause. The film opens with Jack Lucas, a successful New York radio host, taking calls and specifically berating one of his frequent callers as being weak and in denial of that weakness. A short time later, we learn that a man has shot and killed several people as well as himself in a restaurant. It turns out that the shooter was the caller Jack had berated on his show. The movie then fast forwards three years later. Jack is no longer on the radio. He is drinking heavily and living with Ann, the owner of a video store where Jack quote-unquote works. He also lives with Ann in her apartment over the video store. At this point, Jack's life has spiraled. Even though Ann clearly loves him, he is in total despair to the point where he decides to take his own life. During the suicide attempt, he is accosted by two thugs who think he is a homeless person because of his disheveled look. And they beat him and are about to set him on fire when Perry, a homeless man, along with other homeless people, come to his aid. Once back at Perry's house, a basement located in an apartment building, Perry tells Jack that he is on a quest for the Holy Grail and that Jack was brought to him to help him in this quest. Of course, upon hearing this news, Jack immediately thinks Perry is crazy and quickly exits out of Perry's basement. Out of guilt, Jack goes back to try to give Perry some money and finds out from the building landlord that Perry was actually a tenant there and he used to be a teacher whose wife was murdered in the restaurant shooting that put Jack in his tailspin. Jack decides to seek out Perry at first just to give him some money, but ends up committing to help him on his quest for the Holy Grail. Perry also tells Jack that he has fallen in love with Lydia, a woman that he has never met but has followed for weeks. Jack then enlists the help of a reluctant aunt to help get Perry and Lydia together. While the Fisher King has larger themes, such as a search for the Holy Grail, the story is really about a story of relationships to me as I watched it again. Relationships, tragedy, and how we deal with those tragedies or not deal with those tragedies. Three of my favorite scenes in the movie are, first of all, there's a scene in a Chinese restaurant. This is where the double date takes place between uh, Perry and Lydia with Jack and Anne along. So it's a double date. And it's a series of swipes that show the progression of the dinner, the awkwardness, the, the romantic part of it. Uh, it's a very funny montage to see them fumbling around with their food. And obviously, Robin Williams with his ability to improvise and just, you know, be alive in a scene and working off of Amanda Plum Plummer's awkwardness and shyness. It's a it's a very uh, cute scene, very, very good, very well shot, too. So it's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, the second of my three favorite scenes is the breakup scene later in the film. Anne and Jack have a fight, and Mercedes Rule is fantastic in this in this scene. Um, her and Bridges work well together in the whole movie, but this scene is very, uh, very indicative of of Anne's character. How she is romantic, has a soft heart, but uh, is not putting up with his nonsense anymore, and 
doesn't put up with his nonsense only to a point and uh, this was the breaking point for them and a great scene uh, for both actors specifically mercedes rule my other favorite scene in the movie was a scene in the video store so as Anne and Jack try to get Lydia and Perry together. They come up with this idea, or Jack comes up with this plan where they call Lydia and tell her she's won a membership to Anne's video store along with a free VCR to rent and watch the movies. So she comes in to get her member card, and they have Perry show around the theater, or the theater, excuse me, the movie video store, and you see her just basically fumbling through the videos, knocking them all down. It's just an awkward mess and very, very funny and very well done. There are other great scenes in the movie too. Uh, two other ones that I like to bring up is there's a scene where Perry is following Lydia and they're walking through Grand Central Station. So if you've seen any film set in New York, uh, Grand Central Station is the huge train station that's uh, heavily commuted every day. It's been in dozens of films uh, that are set in New York and this is no different. The, the unique part of this particular one is there is a spontaneous waltzing that happens. So, so kind of in a dreamlike state, he's focused on her. And then all the, there's about a thousand extras in the this scene and they all start to do a waltz. And it's just kind of a whimsical, magical element to the movie. Uh, great story behind that scene. They Terry Gilliam was very, very, committed to the script and he was concerned he didn't want to make anything too fanciful because he didn't want to quote unquote make it a Terry Gilliam film in the sense that he would add things that wouldn't add to the script and he actually suggested the waltzing and was concerned that uh, he was going to do that and he's like oh I don't think I want to do that but to the producer's credit they all love the idea and um, producer the late Deborah Hill came up with a way to get an extra day of filming because they didn't have enough money to film this scene so she came up with a clever way to cut another day on another scene which gave them this night shoot because uh, shooting in new york shooting at night is super expensive and they were able to pull the scene off and it's a great scene in the movie it's like a magical kind of whimsical departure from the movie but in no way is it distracting or does it mar the film at all the other not so much seen, but striking visual because Terry Gilliam is known for striking visuals. Uh, in the movie, you have the Red Knight, who is the nemesis of Perry and his, you know, visions, you know, delusions, whatever you want to call them. And it's uh, strikingly rendered. Uh, it's a huge Red Knight on a horse breathing fire. You see it a couple of times during the film. It's it's terrifying and beautiful at the same time. And it's just beautifully shot. And like I said, you could see that uh, another Terry Terry Gilliam visual touch so those two all uh, things of the film were also also very impressive the cinematography was by roger pratt and production design by melbourne uh, both are fantastic uh the, the the scenes of new york the homeless uh, compound under the bridge where the homeless people are at is beautifully shot beautifully you could see the production design is first rate so very impressive there as well robin williams of course, a great actor, in my opinion, tremendous actor. He shows his tremendous range here as Perry. He goes from funny to sad to serious to angry. He shows all the shades of the character uh, and does a beautiful job. Jeff Bridges, also one of my favorite actors, as great as Jack Lucas. He's an asshole, but Bridges can somehow make him likable and empathetic as the movie progresses and as he continues to help and become a friend to Perry. Amanda Plummer as Lydia can play the role of gawky and odd in her sleep. Uh, just check out Pulp Fiction as well. But she does a great job here, and the relationship between Lydia and Perry is very touching. 
Last but not least, Mercedes Rule. Her performance as Anne is fantastic. She is the conscience of the film and of Jack. She has that angel on his shoulder pushing him to do the right thing while also demanding that he give her what she is looking for in their relationship. This role could have been just a typical girl who takes garbage from her partner, but she plays the role with both vulnerability and strength. You never feel that she is weak, but you feel for her character's relationship with Jack and the pain she feels, as well as her desire for their relationship to be more like the budding relationship between Perry and Lydia. The performance earned Mercedes Rule a well-deserved Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. The film also received Oscar nominations for Robin Williams, production designer Mel Bourne, and for Richard Legrebenes' screenplay. I had not seen the film in decades, so when you haven't seen a film in a long time, it's always a tricky proposition to see if you'll enjoy it as much. Uh, I was able to pick up the Criterion Blu-ray and watch it uh, to review for this show. Uh, And like I said, I was not disappointed. It's a wonderful film. I'm going to go ahead and give The Fisher King four Van Goghs out of five. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting app, please take a moment to rate and review. This is a quick and easy way you can help the show attain a higher profile in searches when people are seeking out new podcasts. Another way you can help raise the profile of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard or you think a friend might like it is to share the episode on your social media. This is another easy way to help the show reach a wider audience. The podcast is available on the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. Episodes can also be downloaded directly from the website at www.letmebendyourear.com. If you want to email the show, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and I hope everyone has a great week.